The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to Paid Social Week on the MarTech Podcast. This week, we're doing a deep dive into one of the most effective, diverse, and fastest evolving channels in marketing, paid social. Each day this week, we're going to publish an episode that discusses what you need to know about channel selection, targeting, and performance marketing optimization for your paid social campaigns. With us today is Soso Sazesh, who is the founder of Growth Pilots, which is a digital marketing agency that partners with high growth companies to manage their paid search and social marketing channels. Growth Pilots selectively partners with a limited number of clients, including Instacart, Glassdoor, and Betterment, to give time to ensure maximum context and focus on driving results through performance marketing. So far this week, we've talked about the landscape of advertising on paid social, and today we're going to discuss how dominant Facebook and Instagram are as players in the paid social space. Here's the second installment of Paid Social Week with Soso Sazesh from Growth Pilots. Soso, welcome back to Paid Social Week on the MarTech Podcast. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back. It's great to have you here. We've covered a ton of ground in terms of how to optimize your paid social campaigns across multiple different channels. And I want to get into a little bit more about how to use the various platforms, starting off with the 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to paid social, which is Facebook Inc. And the reason I say Facebook Inc. is it's not just Facebook and its mobile app. It's Instagram. They also own WhatsApp and a handful of other products, including Messenger. Tell me about how you think about where Facebook fits into the landscape of paid social and how dominant it is in terms of commanding budgets and also dictating what the ad platform strategies are for the other channels. No doubt about it. Facebook is the leading indicator and kind of the driver for any paid social strategy. It consumes roughly 80 to 90% of paid social budget for clients that we work with. And there's a good reason for that, right? That it has the largest reach, the most advanced and dialed in targeting. And frankly, it performs. So I think if you look at Facebook, it really dominates the strategy. And as a result, you see a lot of the other paid social advertising platforms following suit in terms of how Facebook has done targeting and optimization. And because people are so familiar with it to reduce the friction and onboarding for these other platforms, and they obviously want to attract ad dollars as well, they've tried to make it as familiar an experience as possible. So there's kind of an interesting dynamic there. 
So Facebook is clearly the market leader in terms of paid social advertising. If you think about in general where people are allocating their budgets, do you see it be a certain percentage of spend? Is it always the first social network that you go to? And how much of the budgets for your clients are you investing into Facebook as opposed to other paid social channels? So there might be a little bit of selection bias here because we work with later stage high growth companies that have meaningful budgets. So as a result, we look to work with companies who are either already spending a significant amount or will be spending a significant amount. And there's kind of a prerequisite to that is ability to leverage Facebook. So for us specifically, if we're talking paid social budgets, the vast majority is going to Facebook for that reason, because it's a scalable channel. And that's really where we're focused on looking as much growth as possible. Now, it's vertical specific. There are some companies who might see another channel perform better than Facebook, but you run into scaling issues in those cases. So you might see a smaller percentage of budget going to Facebook in those cases, but it's still likely going to be the largest portion of their paid social ad dollars. So for example, if you're managing the budgets for a B2B company, they might emphasize LinkedIn and they might have better performance on LinkedIn just because the nature of the product, but the scale isn't there in terms of the LinkedIn platform when you compare it to Facebook. Correct. Okay. Do you see any specific verticals? I mentioned B2B versus B2C. Does Facebook perform better for any specific industries, e-commerce, content, or is it just universally the first place to go whenever you're testing performance marketing? That really is what it seems to be. It's always worth testing Facebook. And this is pretty vertical agnostic. You know, I think the obvious ones where there's the clearest correlation and probability of success on Facebook are going to be e-commerce, anything where there's a heavy consumer lead gen, consumer SaaS. We've seen pre-order hardware do really well. So really anything where you're targeting a consumer. But I think there's this giant misnomer around Facebook and B2B. And it sometimes requires a little bit of education when we're chatting with clients who they're convinced that Facebook is only for consumers and they have no ability to reach their audience effectively if they're a B2B company. And the thing you have to realize is everybody is on Facebook. So yes, the psychology when you're on Facebook might be different, but everybody is on Facebook for the most part. So it comes down to being able to find those audiences. And that's where the B2B marketers really struggle. If you can effectively find those audiences on Facebook, it's certainly a viable platform. And we've seen a lot of success on the platform with B2B. And when I'm talking B2B, I'm primarily talking about where there's a large enough market. So this would be more like mid-market B2B. If you're talking enterprise B2B, that is one arena where I would say Facebook is not a great candidate. And that's, again, goes back to just the sheer market size. You're talking about thousands of customers as opposed to tens and hundreds of thousands of customers. And when you have such a small audience size, Facebook does not necessarily perform. So the Facebook ad platform is basically built on the ability to reach a high volume of people. And what I'm inferring from what you're saying is it's more important to reach the right person than to reach someone who is in B2B content consumption mode, as opposed to just passively consuming content on the internet. If somebody's just scrolling through Facebook and they happen to be the exact target match of the type of customer you're trying to reach it's better to reach them when they're not thinking about work than to try to reach somebody who is potentially less targeted when they are at work or consuming work-related content. 
Absolutely. And I'll reference the first episode where we chatted about the three pillars of paid social. If you can get the audience dialed in and you have creative that resonate and you have the ability to optimize, we've seen a really magical combination work there where Facebook can really take in all of that information and help you find those customers, regardless of the channel being a consumer-oriented platform. So talk to me about the difference in terms of advertising placements and creative when you think about Facebook compared to Instagram, and I'll even throw in Messenger. Are you creating different ads for the two platforms, or do you just go into the Facebook ad platform where you can place your ads in both Facebook, Instagram, and I think you could do it in Messenger as well? Talk to me about how you're putting your ads together when you're thinking about placing advertisements through Facebook Inc. So... The Facebook newsfeed definitely should be a placement on its own. And that's how we think about it. The format of how you consume the Facebook newsfeed as a product, you're scrolling through, you're looking at activity that's happening in the feed. And that user experience is different than if you're looking at Instagram stories or even Facebook stories. So I guess that's maybe a separate dimension. But in general, the way that we think about it is... Facebook as a user experience is different than Instagram as a user experience. And both of those are different from Instagram stories and Facebook stories. So I think there's those three buckets. And just talking through what we've seen on the Facebook newsfeed, we chatted a little bit about this before, but these very attention-grabbing, short motion, whether it's a very short video, a boomerang, something that's captivating, that sticks out and comes across very authentic in the sea of the scrolling newsfeed. Then shifting over to Instagram, which is more of an artistic platform, people are showing their amateur photography skills. We've seen more of a lifestyle creative or more of an artistic creative tend to perform best there. Again, not sales heavy, very authentic. And I think there's an art to choosing the right creative for the placement, which is balancing the authenticity. And you kind of want to camouflage yourself on one hand to fit in to what's happening on the platform organically, but also sticking out enough where it's engaging and you can get somebody to get over the hump of, okay, I don't know this brand, but this is captivating enough for me to click on. That's really the delicate balance there. Now, jumping to the stories format, this is Instagram stories and more recently rolled out Facebook stories, which this also transcends to Snapchat, which is the separate topic. But these types of formats are very quick, people tapping through, looking at what their friends are doing. And again, you need to have something that doesn't disrupt that flow so much where you're going to shock the user in a bad way. So again, if you think about authenticity and what tends to work well there, if you have a giant click now to get 20% off for some brand that you haven't heard of, that obviously is not going to jive very well with somebody who's in the middle of looking what their friends are doing on a Friday night. So the user context and the user experience of the platform matters a lot. And I think a lot of marketers fail to take that into account. They say, well, Facebook allows me just to put up one creative and they'll kind of take care of it for me. I think we're in the early days of Facebook's ability to distill one creative and kind of disseminate it across all of these platforms in an engaging and authentic way. And that's where I think there's a lot of leverage for marketers. So with Facebook automating a lot of the targeting and the bidding, creative is, I guess we could say, one of the last arena where there's a lot of control and a lot of ability to influence performance. And even though Facebook would have you believe you can put up a few creatives and let them disseminate them across the different placements. 
we still see a, a ton of leverage there because there's so much context, right? You know your customer better than anybody else, and you really need to understand the those different contexts behind each placement across Facebook and its properties. What advice do you have in terms of prioritizing the various placements? If you're starting a Facebook campaign, to me, I think of it in a linear fashion in terms of how they were released is you build a piece of creative for the news feed, then you try to build something for Instagram that is a little bit more artistic, and then you think about stories. I maybe think about it backwards because maybe you should focus on the newest, hottest products and build from something that was new and work your way back to the news feed. Have you seen one of these placements be more effective than the other? This is a really interesting question because, as you alluded to, there's what's tried and true. And the newsfeed, that works. That's still where we see the vast majority of impressions, mobile newsfeed. But there's these dynamics of when a new placement is introduced, there's some first mover advantage that takes place. And those advantages are, one, it's not rolled out to everybody and not everybody adopts it from day one. So you tend to see lower CPMs. And as a result, you can get some early efficiency on those new placements. And this applies to any time a new ad platform rolls out. The earlier you jump on it and the quicker you figure it out, you definitely have some early gains. Now that gets eroded as more people start adding the placement. So in terms of prioritization, I think the newsfeed, you want to make sure and have your foundational creative at your strategy that works there. But I would say in parallel, you also want to be thinking about the other placements because because mobile has eroded desktop share over the past several years and any mobile focused placements, those are definitely worth designing creative for out of the gate and testing. If you look at Instagram stories, the rise in the number of impressions or the amount of inventory there, that was somewhat of a science experiment for Facebook, the product in itself, and then building ads into the product. And then it became, it's a huge placement where there's a ton of inventory available. I think you want to be cognizant of that when you're launching a Facebook strategy and don't assume that, well, this audience, I'll be able to reach them in the Facebook newsfeed. Even though that's the largest placement, it doesn't mean that it's the same users who are looking at Instagram stories and that you should ignore that. So I would say the core creatives that you want to focus with out of the gate, Facebook newsfeed, you want a stories format for Instagram stories and Facebook stories and Instagram separately. I think those three warrant their own creative strategy out of the gate. Which one would you prioritize? From a scale perspective, the newsfeed. That's the one that's tried and true. So if you had to pick one of those, that's the one that you would want to build first. Okay. So the biggest question for me is figuring out what your CPAs should be and your bidding strategy. I understand that you can drive a ton of scale with the Facebook platform. And for a growth stage company, that's probably what matters most is being able to pick up as many users as possible once you've validated that the channel and what your strategy should be. Facebook is getting more and more competitive as the CPG companies and the big brand advertisers are coming onto the platform. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. 
Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Talk to me about what you're seeing in terms of CPAs, not so much going into what the bidding strategy should be, but how expensive is it to acquire a user on Facebook? Have you seen it get more expensive or their optimization tactics that are able to help you keep your costs low? It has definitely gotten more expensive. And and the way that we think about this internally and communicate this to clients that we're working with. Every ad platform has a diminishing returns curve where if you look at the lower part of that curve where your scale is low, you can still achieve efficiency. So the dynamic or what's happened with the mad rush of all of the competition, as you mentioned, all these D2C companies that have popped up like mushrooms overnight, they've all jumped on, they've saturated the platform. Now, Facebook's reach is so large that there's still room for efficiency up to a certain scale. What you end up seeing now is that those diminishing returns kick in much sooner. So while it may be tolerable to acquire, let's say, spend $50,000 to $100,000 per month, that might still be tolerable and within your CPA target. As you start trying to scale that channel to $500,000, a million dollars a month, you see a very sharp increase in the CPA because of that diminishing returns curve changing as a result of so much competition. What that means is you need to be much better about optimizing and choosing the right audiences. So the strategy has shifted and where people are focusing has shifted as a result. Do you have any rules of thumb for how much it costs to acquire a customer? And I'll give you a couple of examples, one of them being very biased. Okay. Let's say you're running a content asset that is a podcast. And you're interested in growing your audience and you want to test retargeting on the Facebook channel. But when you tested it before, you were looking at a $5 cost per acquisition. And now you're going to hone in your audience and you're going to really refocus and just do a better job. What are you seeing in terms of the expected cost per acquisition? And how is that different from somebody who is selling a less than $100 e-commerce product as opposed to a higher ticket items? Do you have a, just a general range of the CPAs and specifically what the hell should I be doing on Facebook? <laughs> this is probably the number one question that I get asked. And I hate the answer because it's the one that everyone's expecting. Oh, don't give me it depends. Come on. Well, but I'll dive into it because every company is different, right? The audience is different. The product is different. The price range is different. And the conversion rate is different. And that's really what everything backs down into, right? At the end of the day, CPA is a function of the cost that you're paying per click and the conversion rate from click to completion. 
I'm going to push back on you because okay. you know what you're doing. So I want to hear what you're seeing when you're actually optimizing your campaigns correctly. What is the range of CPAs you should be seeing for freemium content product for e-commerce hundred and then for your SaaS products, which are a thousand dollars and up? Okay, let's dive into that. I'm going to get a hard number out of you or at least a range. <laughs> All right. This might take a little bit of time, but I'm going to walk through. All right. So where are you sending the traffic? The internet. (laughs) So I think I spent 2000 bucks and I was targeting marketers and I was also using my website pixel to try to create a like audience. I was driving them to a non-optimized landing page on the blog homepage, martechpod.com. And I call a subscriber a conversion. Got it. And subscribing means downloading the podcast? So I actually don't see the conversion metrics because you don't get click attribution from driving someone to the Apple App Store. So I only see whether they've been on the page for a certain period of time or whether they've clicked a subscribe button to go to one of the app stores. Okay. So that is what will break my analysis here. Because again, if you go back to Facebook, Facebook needs that feedback loop in order to properly target and get your ad in front of the right person. This was the early days of Facebook where you would just drive traffic to an audience that you believed was as targeted as possible. But if you can't measure what's happening on the back end, Facebook doesn't have that information to make those decisions. And that's really the world that we operate in. Well, and and I was optimizing for, did they click the subscribe button? I see. Okay. So I think that the number of people who would have clicked that subscribe button, given that there's really no friction involved, once they got to the page with the subscribe button, I would assume that you probably saw somewhere between like a 40 and 60% click on that button rate, assuming it was like somewhat front and center. So if that were the page you were driving people to, and this more specific audience on Facebook, which means your CPCs are going to be fairly high. You can kind of just back out the math there. But I would assume you're probably seeing a 2 to $3 CPC, 50% conversion rate. That works out to 4 to $6 CPA. So I worked out the CPAs to be somewhere close to 4 or $5 per subscriber. Right. That wouldn't surprise me. And the reason for that is your audience is so specific. And Facebook, when you target a very niche audience, there's a lot of competition, right? You're basically telling Facebook, I only want to target this really small group of people. So you pay a premium because there's so many other advertisers who could potentially be targeting that same audience. And Facebook can't spread your ad impressions over hundreds of thousands or millions of people like they typically would, where they could find a lower CPC for you to pay. So I think on Facebook, if you're doing really hyper-targeted remarketing, like it sounds like you were for a lot of this, 4 to $5 doesn't shock me. Mm-hmm. But I have seen people driving like an email sign up as low as like $1 to $2. But this is when you're working on a massive audience where you're basically letting Facebook do the optimization and say, I only want these people to give me their email and click subscribe. And if you target the entire US and you tell Facebook, I only care about maybe a few things here and there, your audience is huge and Facebook will find those people who will go through that action and the conversion tracking loop will accelerate that. And yeah, like I said, I mean, I've seen one to $2. So basically what you're saying is that if you're trying to promote a freemium or a lower cost product, something where you're just getting some sort of engagement, you can get it down to one to $2 CPA, but you should be expecting a four to $5. When you are marketing a, let's call it an e-commerce product, something that is less than a $100 purchase, right? I personally see a ton of men's fashion brands that are people I've never heard of or companies that I've never heard of before. Everything from sock vendors to sweatshirts to suiting and outerwear. 
that's basically my entire Facebook and Instagram feed. And they're all, you know, $150, $100 purchases and below. What's the range for CPAs for those type of companies once they're optimized? So there's kind of a good rule of thumb for anything e-commerce. We tend to see conversion rates between half a percent and 2%. So you can do some really quick math if you're targeting a large audience. And let's see, if you're a little bit dialed in, you have a $2 average CPC and you can get a pretty good understanding of where that CPA might back out. So if you look at a half a percent to 2% conversion rate on like a $2 CPC, basically what you end up with is a CPA that will range somewhere between $100 and $400, which is pretty high. And sure, you might be able to do some optimization and get it down and your attribution plays a big role in this. I think in general for e-commerce, the average order value matters a ton. That will directly impact what the conversion rate is. But in general, we've seen CPAs on e-commerce range anywhere from $20 all the way up to several hundred dollars, again, based on the conversion rate. And sometimes that backs out for companies where they have a very high AOV. And sometimes that doesn't back out. So that's the quick math and quick framework to think about. But in general, half a percent to 2% conversion rate at scale is what we see. So if you can get those CPCs at a dollar, great. That changes your economics drastically. Right. And talk to me about the big ticket purchases, right? When I'm getting targeted for the Lamborghini that I'm never going to buy on Facebook, something that's over $1,000, aspirational content, your SaaS products, that gets more into the B2B space. What are you seeing there in terms of average CPAs? So B2B SaaS, the general conversion funnel there is driving people to a lead or a trial page where you get some initial information. And then from there, either a sales team will pick it up or they'll continue going through an onboarding flow. Typically, cost per lead is the core metric that those companies are optimizing towards. And even within there, it might be an MQL, marketing qualified lead, who meets a certain amount of criteria. I would say that's probably the number one metric that we see with our B2B SaaS clients, optimizing towards an MQL. Now, again, I don't want to say it depends, but I'll give you the range that we've seen. We've seen cost per lead on B2B SaaS across the entire spectrum, whether that's like an email provider who has a very light plan that's $9 a month, for example. They might get a cost per lead in the $20 to $30 range. And then if you look at some more robust software, maybe something that's like database analytics monitoring or something like that, you might see three dollars to $500 cost per qualified lead. So it really does depend on, again, the audience, how large they are, and what the product is and what that conversion path is and what you define as an MQL. So the context is the unfortunate part of trying to simplify performance marketing because there's just so many variables and you can't just treat them all the same. And I think there's a lot of misinformation in the industry that would have you believe like, oh, everyone's treated equally. Here's what you should kind of expect to be paying. But when you really dive in, every company is so different and every setup is so different that it's tough to wrap a benchmark around, oh, here's what you should be getting for a CPL. Absolutely. And I understand that we mentioned the sort of three main pillars of optimizing your social campaigns in our last episode, which are what's your creative, who's your audience, and how are you managing your bids? How are you optimizing your campaigns? Obviously, that's what creates those range. How good of a job do you run running your campaigns? But it's really useful to hear some of the basic expectations of low-cost product, 
subscription content type thing, one to five dollars is your range. When you're looking at some sort of e-commerce product, relatively low price point, under $100, you're looking at somewhere between 20 to 50 cost per acquisition. And then when you get into your B2B SaaS, more specialized targeted type products, you're looking at hundred to hundreds of dollars for acquiring leads. Absolutely. And I would say the mid-range that you mentioned of e-commerce, I'd probably bump the top of your range up from $20 to even up to like $200 for e-commerce. Now, when you're talking less than $100 AOV, you obviously don't want to be paying more than $100 to acquire a customer that's only bringing you $100. So that's a separate discussion. But I think it's worth noting because there are companies who look at LTV and they say, well, this person isn't going to just purchase one time. So they're willing to pay $100 for a customer that brings them $100 within the first order. Absolutely. I think that at the end of the day, when you think about Facebook as a platform, we mentioned that it is the dominant player in terms of paid social and that you can use it for content marketing. You can use it for your e-commerce. You can use it for B2C. It's about finding the right audience at scale. But when you're looking to acquire customers at a very low cost, it might not be the place to start. And that's what my experience has been promoting a content asset with the MarTech podcast is you're looking to scale and you know what your profitability is. You know what your LTV is. Facebook is the first place to look when you're looking for scale, not necessarily when you're looking to figure out who your customers are and what their lifetime value is. 100% could not agree more with that. Yeah, this is a platform where you want to know the nuts and bolts, the unit economics of your business and what you can afford. And then you basically plug those variables in and Facebook will either treat you nicely or they won't. (laughs) It's the fire hose. And I think that's a great place to wrap up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks again to Soso Sazesh from Growth Pilots for joining us. If you'd like to learn more of Soso's tips for building an effective paid social strategy, we're going to publish an episode every day this week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and check back with us tomorrow morning when we'll be talking about how to use paid social to drive B2B growth, specifically focusing on LinkedIn. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Soso, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. Or you can send him a tweet where his handle is Soso Sazesh, S-O-S-O-S-A-Z-E-S-H. Or you could visit his company's website, growthpilots.com. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries and transcripts of all of our episodes. And if you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thank you for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we built benjshap.com slash question, where you could submit your questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a weekly stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to the rest of Paid Social Week, we've got some great episodes lined up. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. Okay, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.